You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up, everybody. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, once again, and I'm super excited to talk to Mike Pugh about going from exec to super exec. Now, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because as I'm on my own journey of this going from an exec to super exec, I'm speaking with a lot of people in the industry and VPs specifically are feeling pressure from their bosses and the people that who they serve. And so I'm super excited. It's this is phenomenal that we Mike would, has uh, taken some time out to come speak with us about his framework of how to unlock your super executiveness, if that's a word. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Super executiveness. I love that. Uh, thanks for having me, Asher. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Terrific. Well, Mike, before we begin, tell us a little bit about yourself so the users get to know a little bit about who you are. So I am a marketing guy and product guy kind of by training and with kind of an overlay of being a systems guy as really my DNA. Um, I originally went and got my marketing degree when I was a kid straight out of high school. And as is largely the case, a lot of kids straight out of high school don't really know what they want to do with their lives. So my parents got me off to a good start by sending me into marketing, which was a fit. But I later found that there was something more that I needed to study, and it was systems management. It was the study of complex things. So I went back to school and got a master's degree in systems management and came out kind of right at the time that the internet was booming. And so I went from a world in which marketing was kind of a straightforward, big campaign kind of thing to a world in which uh, a marketing campaign was 5,000 keywords, each with their own ROI. So I really, um, what I was interested in, which is marketing and complexity, and um, what the industry was doing was shifting from old marketing to new marketing was kind of a perfect timing for me to jump on to the combination of search marketing, the internet, email, lots of different campaigns that were really personalized with lots of data and still had the creative element. So I've been in this space for, for 30 years and the last 20 kind of in that mind frame. And it's been an amazing run of trying to figure out how to make marketing work in a world it gets increasingly segmented and personalized. Fantastic. So let's dive into the topic at hand. Please share with us your executive framework. So I've got three pillars that are really important to me. One is moving from complex to simple. It's really hard to delegate. It's hard to um, communicate. It's hard to hold people accountable for things that are too complex. So it's very important in our thinking to bring the complex down to the simple. Um, Number two, Um, is having radical candor. I'm a radical candor coach. It's a theory that I believe in. Um, You need to be able to have honest conversations with people and you need to hear honest feedback. And so in order to reach your potential, you have to have this real-time, very clear, very um, straightforward uh, feedback loops in your life in order to make progress. And then last is with those two things in place, with, with making the complex more simple and having radical candor in the way you work with people, you need to have a bias towards action. Because I'm a big believer that um, your course is not always the right one, but you can course correct if you know where you're going. But if you're stuck, 
you're not really learning anything. Um, as you can tell from my background, I've done a lot of A-B testing in my life. So I usually believe when you come to a crossroads, people say, you know, choose the, the path less, less traveled. I try to say choose both paths. If you can, by doing A-B test, by somehow stepping into, uh, into optionality and finding out as much as you can about both options in order to pick the one long term that's right for you. Thank you for sharing that. Sounds like you have perfected this fr framework over a lot of amazing experiences. Some good, some that may, you may not want to repeat other uh, uh, again. Well, I know there's that saying what it is, uh, strong opinions loosely held. And so I consider that this uh, model has been perfected until I come up with a better model tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. The, the iterative journey. Yeah. So you've... You just said you are a conflict management coach. Can you dive a little bit into that experience? Yeah, I think it, all these things tie together. I mean, I think where I've done well is kind of breaking down things that seem unmanageable and getting them to manageable. That's kind of that complex to simple thing that I talked about. Um, also wraps in the radical candor. You know, stuff is what it is. And obviously, you need to have empathy for other people's situations, but it's usually not very empathetic to either hold information back or not tell the truth. So the candor brings out the fact that we get grounded in what we believe is to be common, uh, commonly shared values and, and truths. And the last is the bias towards action. I think that really comes through. I'm a, I, as a volunteer work, I got certified to be a small claims court mediator in my, my local jurisdiction. And I just love going into a room with two people who can't agree who are about to face a judge and would rather have some say in their own outcome rather than letting a judge decide for them. And my goal is to get them to break down the situation into some actionable components, again, the complex to simple, to get them to be really truthful about what's important to them and what's not. Because often people take very firm positions on things that are not important to them once they get too worked up. So to back them off their, their kind of positions they had coming in and get them to take stronger positions on what's really important to them and then getting to the point where we can have them take an action, take some step forward that moves them closer to their goal. Because often in those situations, there's deadlock. And my job is to get them beyond deadlock. And it's amazing following that routine, how commonly you can get people that are stuck on something to find a path forward that they believe in. So I want to dive into a situation. Look, you've been through a lot of different types of businesses, right? But the fast-growing startup and being simple and having honest conversations. And of course, there's a lot of bias to action, right? Because startups are like, go, 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 figure out, go big, go home, right? Yep. But, you know, in those situations, like how, do, how, how should one think about these things? Because there's time, which is your enemy, right? And then there is a lot of investment to go get to a goal, right? And then, and then you have emotions and feelings and and all these amazing things that make life worth living right and 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 in that in those moments you as a leader has to discern the how, am i going to have this conflict prone conversation and how much time am i going to give to it and what are the outcomes like like how does one process those things well, I think um, I've been on both the startup side and on the angel investor side. So I've seen this from both angles. And I totally agree with you. I think the bias to action is pretty well covered. Um, people who are investing in startups tend to be biased towards action. People who are starting companies tend to be biased towards action. So I think that one's covered. Um, the radical candor part is a little bit tougher sometimes 
these people get into a situation and in, as investors, they sometimes are afraid to ask the tough questions. As a company speaking to their investor base, sometimes they're, it's difficult to give tough answers. Um, so I think the candor is an important place. But I think the thing I see the most on startups is a problem on the complexity side. They get too um, wound up in the detail of what they're doing and sometimes lose sight of the big picture. And I think that the, th the best um, uh, 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 antidote to that I've seen is to do a product market fit. Because then you get out of this world in which you're creating very complex solutions in your brain and you go out and you make sure that what you're coming up with actually solves the customer problem. Um, and customers are usually pretty clear about what they need and we only make it complex when we try to solve the problem. So I think it's very important to focus, I think in the startup mode most, on keeping things simple, both in terms of being able to tell your story to an investor, tell your story to your new employees, tell your story to customers, and even tell your story to yourself. Because the more complex you make it, the more it distracts you from being able to solve a single problem well, which is something you can build on. I took two takeaways from what you just said. One is establishing product market fit. I feel like you have some golden nuggets on that topic itself. Can you share them? Yeah, I think all of us have that that aha moment in which, you know, we think we've solved the world's problems. And then you go to a barbecue and are having a, a beer with a friend and you realize either they saw that same product on an infomercial earlier today, or it came out 10 years ago and you never saw it, or your solution has been tried and failed. So I think there's so many times when we get caught in our own brains And it's just so important to be able to get outside feedback in general. And sometimes that can come from people who are not even familiar with your space because two minds are always better than one. And secondarily, when you can get in front of customers, you can avoid making mistakes. And I know for me, I made mistakes in making products too complex where I had a, a simple product and tried to build onto it and found out very quickly that the, the enhancements were not enhancements after all. They just made the product more complex. And that was an easy thing to have, have, have solved. If we had only gotten a mock-up or a MVP in front of a customer earlier. So I think that's one of the things. And, and I think the same thing holds true with, with anything is being able to market test an idea, a, a, a design, a tagline, um, a, a marketing campaign. Any of those things get better if they're kind of faced with the light of day to be able to test them before they're in market. Superb. Let's dive into radical candor. Because I personally know a lot of VPs, I would say early stage VPs, right, uh, who struggle with this because they got into the role and now they think that they absolutely have to succeed because the first time you become a VP, if you fail, at least the notion is that you may never be able to recover from that, right? But this concept of radical candor is so important because it is grounded in meaningful relationships, which I believe what a VP is all about. But I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, I first got exposed to Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, when I was doing some consulting. And um, I read it and loved it. And it fit really well what I was going through. I was being hired as a marketing consultant. And I'd get called into a situation where somebody would say, hey, Mike, we'd want help hiring our new CMO. The last CMO has, has not really worked out. We would like to bring some outside help in yourself to help us pick the right one next time. And the first question I would ask is, okay, what went wrong with your CMO? And they'd explain, oh, the first year was great, but then as we got into the second year, the campaign stopped performing and we got in, you know, things got, there's a lot of friction. And I'd say, well, what happened when you confronted the CMO with the poor performance? And they'd say, well, we really haven't had that difficult conversation. Our hope was to hire a new CMO, then let the old one go and move on. 
And really all they were doing was plastering over the situation and not really solving it. And what they really needed to do was learn how to have a difficult conversation. I'd have the same situation with, hey, Mike, we'd like to get a new ad agency. And I would ask, okay, what happened to the old ad, ad agency? Well, they performed for a while and then they stopped being able to hit their numbers. Well, what happened when you challenged them to do something new? Well, we really don't know the right way to say it. And so same situation, throwing out an old solution without trying to really fix it is not really any better because then you're going to get in the same uh, churn cycle where you're having people and agencies turning over um, once a year just because you don't manage them well. So I think the key is, is to learn how to have those conversations so that you can keep people course correcting. Because again, you have to course correct constantly. There is no answer that lasts for very long. You have to have an answer and then build on it. So, and, and radical candor is on two, uh, is a, a two axis idea. It's care personally on one axis and challenge directly on another axis. And so what that really causes you to do is to be able to challenge someone directly, give them direct feedback, not because you want to control them, but because you care about their success. And so in that model, the caring about success enables you to have a difficult conversation and really try to turn it into something meaningful for both sides. Superb. So let's take this scenario. I just learned about radical candor and I now want to take the literally the first step towards it, right? How would you recommend one starts? Uh, so a lot of people think radical candor is about... Um, giving direct feedback. And in a sense it is, but I think the, the most important place to start with radical candor is requesting radical feedback. To be able to ask people you work with, ask people who work for you, hey, is there anything I could have done yesterday that would have better supported your cause? Ask the people above you, is there anything I can do to be more aligned with company strategy? Ask your peers, how do you see me interacting with the people I work with? Do you have any tips for me that would help me be a better manager? So I think it's really important to ask for that feedback for two reasons. One reason is that it will help you to do your job better, which is the key. In the end, doing your job better is what gives you fun. It gives you challenges. It gives you reward. It gives you compensation. So it helps you do your job better. But the other thing that it does is it teaches you to take feedback. It teaches you under, to understand how to get past the, the drama that happens when somebody gives you tough feedback. It gets you to learn how to ask questions to help make the, the feedback you're getting more useful and more actionable. It does, And what that does is once you learn how to accept feedback well, it makes you a better giver of feedback. And if you can become a giver of feedback, then you can help others. So I really think the food chain is start by asking for feedback yourself. Use it to make your performance better. Use it to figure out how that process really works. Have some case studies of your own you can share when you give feedback to others. Could I add that if you're an exec and you're not in a place where you can be fulfilled or you can help other people fulfill their journeys, you should just move? Um, I think that's a fair assessment. Obviously, life is complex and we all have missions where, you know, sometimes you're on a mission that you think is very important and you want to finish it. Um, sometimes we have obligations, either family obligations or work commitments that we've made. There's lots of, the, I'll, I'll put an asterisk behind what you're saying and say, generally, I believe what you're saying, if we can say that there are uh, extenuated circumstances sometimes. But really, I know for me as a manager, my mission is to make as many people successful as possible. Uh, if I do that, I'm doing well. It's not that I have to manage three people. I need to have the biggest impact in my organization as I can. And if I can't give feedback and get feedback freely, I'm really limited in how I can do that. So again, there are exceptions, but I think largely what you said is true. And it's something that we should all have as one of the probably top five pillars of how we approach our work is, do I have the ability to make my impact here? 
Can you give us a little insight into the hardest conversation you've ever had to have? Oh, um, I probably got some feedback. Um, I was at a company um, called J2 Global, and we did lots of M&A. And so we were constantly buying companies and building them in our portfolio. And it was an amazing business model. We would buy companies for their revenue, for their products, for their people, for their geographies, for their market space. Um, amazing business model to put together kind of a conglomerate of businesses in kind of a roll-up fashion. And um, we had to have many conversations with people um, who were selling their businesses to J2 about what their future aspirations are. Because a lot of times when people would sell you a company, they would be somewhat guarded about what they want out of the deal. They'd want to sell the company, but it was unclear whether they wanted to stay with the company and have it fulfill its, its big vision, whether they wanted to make sure that their employees were safe. And so that was a key consideration, um, whether they really wanted to run into retirement as quickly as they could or whether they really wanted a job to see the course through on what they were doing. They'd have all these different motivations, but often, often they were very guarded in what they would share, because obviously selling your company is a major thing and you don't want to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. So I think some of the toughest conversations I ever had were trying to get those owners of businesses and leaders of businesses to be really forthcoming about what their goals and aspirations were, because I wanted that for two reasons. One is I wanted the deal to be a success for them. So I wanted them to get out of it what they what they were really looking for. And number two, my success was contingent upon their success also. If they wanted something they didn't get, it could bite me from behind six months later in the process. So I think for me, it really was a key in a big transaction like that. And the same thing follows through all the way down to you know my mediation that I do as a volunteer is trying to understand people's true motivations because that's the only way you can really help get to the finish line with everybody winning. I mean, there's so much goodness in this. I feel like we can talk for hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. I want to be respectful of our audience's time. And so as we close this podcast out, who would be two other people who are super passionate about sales, marketing, customer success, or business development that you would recommend we bring on to the, onto the show? Uh, well, two guys that I've really enjoyed my time working with over the years. One is Rick Stevens. He's a VP at Blackline. And he is somebody I work with that is a real genius on how to do upmarket and enterprise marketing. And so I learned a ton of my time working with him, um, both personally and professionally. And another is Deepak Bari, and he's a VP at Automation Anywhere. And I've seen him do the most amazing thing with digital programs. So both of those in my time I spent with him, they were amazing colleagues. Um, I learned a lot from them, and they were true experts in their fields. Superb. We will definitely send them an invite to join us. All right. So last fun part of the show. If we were to condense this podcast into hashtag, what would it be? Oh, I think it would have to be, it's not that complicated. I think I it. what it takes to go from an exec to a super exec is typically within each of our wheelhouses. Um, you can do it. And it's not getting too deep into your own head and making things, again, more complicated than you need to be, but coming up with your own two or three core concepts and really focusing on seeing them through rather than trying to boil the ocean. Well, Mike, this has been fantastic. I'm sure there are going to be some folks out in the world that would like to connect with you once this podcast is published. What would be the best way for them to reach out and have a conversation with you? They can reach out to me at Mike Pugh. That's P-U-G-H at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to start a conversation with just about anybody, or they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Superb. Well, once again, Mike, thank you so much. Thank you so much for keeping this simple 
giving us your executive framework, walking us through radical candor, and then giving a shout out to a couple of your peers. So thank you again, and best of luck in your journey. You're very welcome, Asher. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us, and share these insights with your peers.